Hello and welcome back to the Soundworks Collection podcast series. This is Michael Coleman, and in this episode, we return to another panel from the fourth annual Mix Magazine Presents Sound for Film and TV. Uh, this is an all-day conference spotlighting the techniques and technologies behind sound for picture from production to playback. And in this panel, we explore the sound of war for the planet of the apes. This panel is moderated by Avid Pro Audio Solutions Specialist, Ozzy Sutherland, and features re-recording mixer, supervising sound editor, and sound designer, Will Files. Apes Effects Editor, PK Hooker, Additional Sound Designer and Sound Effects Editor, Dave Garamaldi, and Supervising Sound Editor, Sound Designer, and Ape Voice Premixer, Doug Murray. I hope you enjoy. You ready to do this then? All right. This is Will Files, re-recording mixer and sound supervisor on the show. PK, Apes Effects Editor. Yeah, that's you. And Dave. Dave was our lead sound effects editor and uh, additional sound designer. And then there's Doug somewhere in Ireland. Doug's in Ireland. He's on the screen. He's hearing us. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Hello. Cool. All right. So, uh, Doug, I don't know if you could hear it, but I, I just played them the, the scene with Maurice meeting Nova. Yeah, I, I did and heard it. I mean, I saw a bit of it and okay. heard a bit of it. Oh, good. So the reason I wanted to play that scene to start with, it's not a big bombastic loud scene with a lot going on. It's a very simple scene with very little going on. But I think it shows how much detail the director likes to put into the soundtrack of the film and how much uh, the authenticity of the sound is important to him. Um, and I also wanted to showcase Doug's work on the ape voices because, uh, you know, the amount of work that went into making that seem real not only on the visual level, but on the audio level, uh, was true throughout the entire film. Uh, Doug can talk about it more specifically, but the, uh, what you heard there was a combination of the actual actor's performance on set, which was, of course, painted over with a digital monkey, but also uh, Doug's work in weaving in uh, real orangutan sounds in manipulating the voice of the actor is what gave you that finished product. So, Doug, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, as you said, these are actors' performances, and then they're embellished with the sounds of real, uh, in this case, orangutan voices to give it the authenticity that the character requires. So uh, I want to credit Dave Grimaldi for having gone through this scene before I started on it, and he gave an interpretation which makes my, you know, which gives us all something to react to. And we'd use some of what he did, and I want to credit him. It's not entirely my work. Um, so, and the actor is, of course, a huge part of this too. So, but as you can see, you know, the voice of this giant creature requires some power, some low end, some animalistic qualities which are uh, not in the voice of the 40-something-year-old actress who plays Maurice so beautifully. And uh, so we, we augmented and added sounds like the, the sort of little grunts and breaths, little nose sniffs and small sounds which are from a wide range of recordings of orangutans that have been made um, for various at various times during the apes' 
you know, history of these movies, but a lot of them were done by us on this film. Um, PK and I went out to the LA Zoo, for example, and recorded a bunch of great orangutan close sounds from the wonderful orangutan they have there. So anyway, the uh, quality of the exotic, almost alien nature of the voice of this creature is is um, part of the character of Maurice. And we wanted to, which we had established in the previous films, and we wanted to keep it going. And also the gentle nature of this character. You know, Maurice is a wonderful He's a mensch, you know, he's always there for you when you need him. And uh, he's a very gentle, thoughtful, wise character who never uses his strength unless it's absolutely required, you know, to vanquish an enemy. So in this case, he's the most tender possible friend to this terrified little girl. And, you know, we wanted to have that, have him open up uh, her defenses and to you know calm her down and and whenever the actress actually vocalized you hear those sounds in this track she did an incredible job emulating the sound of an orangutan we augmented those sounds to give them more low end and we added extra sounds to where it seemed appropriate uh, for the character to give it, you know, that kind of big animal alien quality that that is Maurice and and the, you know, anyway. So there you go. That was kind of what we did. It's a sound that we worked on uh, intensely at the very beginning, and and we it was mostly effects at that point. Uh, and then after a while, Matt started to question that, and he wanted us to uh, to look more at the voice of the actress and and try to w work it in more. So we did in this scene. Towards the end, a lot of her little <laughs> sounds are from her, and uh, those are very similar to you know those are real uh, uh, orangutan style sounds. So it was. Um, and she did a good job. So anyway, that's uh, that's her voice. There's another aspect of this scene was the waves, but uh, uh, <laughs> we kept trying to add more stuff to the scene to, you know, fill it out and make it, you know, more immersive and all that. And you know, basically, we kept finding that the more we added to the scene, the less intimate it became between the two characters. So we ended up taking out nearly everything except for just the sound of the distant waves. There's a little bit of wind in there and a little bit of creak every now and then from the room, but mostly it's just waves treated in a multi-channel reverb to make it feel like it's, it's both you know, down on the beach but also echoing a bit in the room. So it's, it's about as simple of a scene as you can imagine, but it took a lot of thought and time and energy to get to what you hear. So and on that note of time and energy, you and I had met when you first started this. How long were you on this film? I think we were on the film for almost an, an, a year. Is that, or maybe was it more than a year? Eight, 18, 18 months. So, I remember this conversation. So Dave had two birthdays on this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So there you go. 
Nice. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, that's a, sort of a challenge in itself. The way that the director likes to work is he likes to build the track as soon as he starts cutting the movie. He wants to start developing the sound. And part of that's because so much of what you see in the early cuts is just guys in pajamas jumping around acting like monkeys. So it's like we have to try to give it some, some feeling and some authenticity and to help the studio people uh, who don't always have the best imaginations you know, <laughs> to think about what the final movie might feel like, you know? But it's not just a dude jumping around. It's one specific special oh, dude. It's Andy Serkis. Andy so Serkis. That helps a lot. Yeah, he helps. I mean, it, that is actually a really good point. The first time we saw this scene, it was just, it was uh, Karen Conoval who plays Maurice. And it was so captivating just to even watch her face without any of the Maurice, you know, digital stuff on it. So I knew the scene, once it became Maurice, would be amazing. I wasn't really prepared for how amazing it would be with the real, you know, the real Maurice in there. But but just the performances themselves gave us a tremendous amount to work from. But yeah. then, of course, there was a, also a tremendous amount of work that we all had to do to get the monkey emotions to feel right. And PK did a huge amount of work in this regard on the scenes that have, you know, there's scenes that have hundreds of, of apes in them. PK, tell, tell everyone your title again. He's an ape effects editor. Exactly. That's all I do. That's all you did. I don't work on any non-ape-related films. <laughs> yeah, that's all I do. So tell us a little bit about how much apes you had to edit on this movie. It's a lot of apes going on A lot on of this. apes. Um, it was really, I, you know, it was really fun, and uh, it, was, it was, some of the scenes are really, really complicated. Um, you can't just, and especially with Matt Reeves, the director, like, you can't just slather stuff in, because he's going he's gonna to look at each ape that's been rendered, you know, on the screen by, by um, Weta and say, what about this ape? What about this ape and stuff? And he did do some of that, you know, so you have to be very specific. And it also helps to sell what you're seeing. You know, you can't just throw in, you have to address specific animals as you see them on screen because it really helps to bring the thing into reality. And it needs that because there's no reality. I mean, almost all of the shots in this movie are totally rendered. So you have to do, so, you know, I had, it was very persnickety kind of work where you have to get in and, you know, address each thing as it comes in. Um, and that happens gradually because when you start, a lot of times it's just this scene of these guys standing in a room alone is actually on the side of a mountain and there's a hundred apes around them screaming. So, you know, stuff like that. So you have to cut it in blind and then as it comes in, you have to adjust and adjust and adjust and you're fine tuning it all the way through to the end. It's, uh, it was really fulfilling, but it was a lot of apes. A lot of apes, man. <laughs> it's a lot of apes. Yeah, we actually, we actually, we do have, you know, some of the unit sessions from you. And Jeff and I were opening them up last night. We might open one up if we have time here to show everybody. But we literally looked at each other and were like, shit, that's a lot of apes inside of this session right now, man. It's pretty, it's a lot of apes. And it was it was daunting actually. I'm like, if this is what you had to deal with all the time, I, you know, you're making Will's life easy, man. You know, but it was cool. So, Dave, how much? Uh, tell us about your trials and tribulations on the project. Well, talking about the um, uh, looking at not knowing what you're looking at. You know, um, actors in mocap suits, and there's a scene in I think Grill three or four where Andy uh, as Caesar comes up over the ridge and looks down, and uh, the reverse is just green screen, but on you know the music's doing something. It's very emo you know emoting, and 
And uh, you know, Andy's face is very, it's, it's horrific. And what he's looking at, the finished product is he's looking that his apes, you know, all his tribe is now captured. And you know. Uh, Spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. Spoiler. Real cool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Hasn't everyone <laughs> seen that? Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, did anyone in here not see Planet of the War for the Planet of the Apes? Yeah. Well, okay, uh, good, good. Yeah. Shame. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Shame. 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 That's on me. Okay. So, um, yeah, we were we were running it with uh, Matt, and it's uh, it was an epic fail uh, because I I cut all these I didn't know what I was looking at, so I cut all these you know, slow down animals and you know just kind of give it that that kind of wailing sound, and um, it wasn't it wasn't right. <laughs> it was a lot of it's not right in this process. <laughs> well, it was the one it was the one epic fail I think, and it was early on, and I think you know we I think we talked about it not to show them until we're absolutely positively sure what we're talking about. You know, the problem in a movie like this is you you have to do so much just of your own imagination of what the scene might become someday when you start working on it, especially with, if it's a year out from the well, movie being that's finished. That's the crazy part. I remember, remember we were installing your S6. I came over and, and Will, nobody from Fox here, he showed me some stuff. And we're looking at it. And I'm like, what the hell are you looking at, man? Like He's like, this is supposed to be something. And I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll, it'll, it'll end up being something soon. So like We'd get a call early on to go, you know, the cutting rooms were not very far from our cutting rooms at Fox. And we get a call, you know, hey, can you guys come over right now? Matt wants to show you some stuff. And he, he would walk us through shot by shot and be like, okay, this is going to be this. And over here, there's 300 apes, and they're all m mad. But then the next moment, they're sad. And then it was like this whole thing where we're like, we had to kind of keep that all in our heads while we tried to put the scenes together. Exactly. Well, and that's the other thing. Uh, we cut to scenes. We didn't cut in reels. You know, so the continuity of knowing what the story is. I, you know, I had the, when I got on, I hit the ground running. I mean, I had like a, a week to cut the opening sequence, which was scenes one through eight, and I had a, a week to do that. And then you know, another sequence came in. Um, so I wasn't really thinking about what the the storyline was. So if I would have known the storyline, and if I would have been in reels and actually seen the story then I would have known what Andy or Caesar was looking at when he you know, went over the ridge. And, and so it, it was just, I think not, you know, cutting in scenes, you, did, you didn't get to have the full picture, no pun intended. So. Right, so there was a lot of refinement. I mean, th that's the good thing about the process is that because we were working on it for such a long time, you know, a lot of the work that we did early on did make it in the final, but it was revised and massaged and expanded on and all that. Should we play that's, maybe that's what that I was gonna opening say. Why scene? Why don't you, you want to, let's do the opening yeah. scene. So we'll play part, we'll skip part of it, but basically it's a big, it's the beginning of the movie, it's a big battle. It's actually, if you want to see the whole scene, it's playing over in the Holden Theater also. Or you could actually go see the movie or on you like could you just guys go see the movie. See it, so. Give us yeah. your 10 bucks. <laughs> but, uh, it's not 10, bro. It's not 10. 10. It's not 10. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I don't get out a lot, but uh, <laughs> uh, so what I want you to pay attention to, there, we're going to play some battle stuff and some you know big loud stuff, but then the second part of the scene to me is the most interesting thing, which is Caesar walking through the injured apes, and you know every single one of those sounds was very specifically chosen and massaged and <laughs> by the apes effects <laughs> editor, PTSD, right? not me alone, <laughs> but everybody. The other thing is that we all collaborated with each other, so not you know someone would take a pass at a scene like that, and then you'd refine it, and then it would go into someone else's hands. So our hands are all throughout every aspect of this film. It's, so that was actually really fun. You know, I did a lot more than apes. I mean, I was on with Dave when we did a whole first pass of the end sequence of the film together. Um, in three days, <laughs> which was like, yeah, yeah like yeah. carpal tunnel. It was a bit white knuckle. Um, yeah, 
Um, so and that's then, I, then they would cut, and then as soon as something was done, I'd go. I'd, they'd send it down to me, and I'd I'd mix a pass, and then send it out to to the avid. That was sort of our process. It was sort of like you guys were sort of you know churning away, and then it would funnel down to my room, and then we'd kick it over next door, and it was just this constant process. Which actually, I mean, just to put an avid plug in, I don't know if we would have been able to finish this movie without the server. So we were cutting on a on an uh, ISIS server, but I mean, no kidding, like it's a lifesaver. Very, very affordable. <laughs> it's a total lifesaver. You'll um, get a copy later. Yeah. Cool. Apparently, sometimes they give yeah. free ones out. Yeah, people. right. Yeah, I'll yeah. take care of you. Don't worry about it. All right, let's watch this scene. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So, I'm gonna mention something because he's not here. Uh -huh. That dialogue's smooth. Yeah. So we did um, a lot of uh, Doug did a tremendous amount of work. Uh, in terms of preparing the the ape voices and a lot of that basically let me back up a second i th i think one of the really cool things about this film and the last film is we made this decision early on that all the principal apes whether or not they were speaking english or just making grunts or sounds but basically all the sort of named apes would all be mixed as if they were dialogue so we actually had andy nelson our dialogue mixer mix all the ape voices, whether or not they were just grunts or whether or not they were Maurice, who's a lot of his voice is made of sound effects and basically not caring about what the source of the sound was, but still treating it as if it was dialogue. So Andy then gave it, he, you know, put, he treated it like he would dialogue. So he, he put the Nelson's, he put the Nelson, Nelson on, sound on it, you know, Nelson which is like a really nice round sound to the apes. And I think he, he took a little bit more high frequency out of the ape voices than he did out of the human voices, which gave them kind of a just a naturally lower, richer sound, and it contrasted them to the humans, which I think is a useful thing in this kind of movie. But Doug, you did a huge amount of work before it ever even hit Andy's faders, which was a tr huge amount of like cleanup and augmentation of low end, and maybe you can talk a little bit about some of that stuff. So, uh, I mean, in this scene, there's a ton of what we call ape effects, which is all of the, you know, minor characters' voices who don't have any voice at all on the set. And those were treated as sound effects, which, uh, which you know, we won't talk about at the moment. But the, the dialogue, which is to say when Maurice comes in and uh, he grunts a few times and then he signs and then... Uh, and then eventually, and the humans talk, and then Caesar speaks. When Caesar speaks, that's Caesar's, you know, that's Andy Serkis's voice. Uh, it's not pitch shifted. It's not, um, you know, there's no, there's no treatment to it, really. Uh, it's his voice. We, you know, we cleaned it up. Um, it's, it's almost and, all production and, sound, I should mention, from set. Very little ADR, right? Uh, there's a tiny bit of ADR in that scene, uh, that Matt, we had a, it was a really interesting process. Matt gave Andy Serkis the opportunity to watch every line he delivered in the movie on the stage, on the ADR stage. So we had Andy in at Fox and we had him go through and we watched every dialogue scene that he's in, in the movie. And we spent a day and a half on this and he got the opportunity to update anything he thought he could perform better. Um, it, it was just a chance to improve his performance. So a couple of the lines in this scene, he, 
he did that for uh, just because he thought he he did a few of the lines and we used, I think, two lines in this scene uh, where he speaks to uh, the guy and then read. Uh, well, so we did treat Andy's voice in this scene by um, by uh, adding a little resonance to it through a uh, altiverb uh, treatment that had basically it didn't add room it added resonance through a kind of a drum uh, uh, sound that was sent off uh, in the premix to his voice and the premix was all done in the box and these tracks went to Andy who then mixed them in the DFC in the room uh, in the final um, anyway and then read the gorilla who has, uh, the, the actor did a great job delivering these sinister, you know, almost whispered lines that are, um, he doesn't have a lot of growl or chest or low frequency in his voice. A lot of it is whispered. So, you know, we tried to pitch shift it and do all these things to make it sound more like a gorilla, you know, but uh, in the end, Matt, Matt just didn't go for it. He wanted the actor's performance. So I think we pitch shifted him a tiny bit uh, and we added this resonance treatment. Uh, this is where we came up with the idea to add a little chestiness to Red. Uh, anyway, all this stuff was done in the in the premix and I did the ape voice premix so that Andy didn't have to deal with the hundreds of different tracks that were that fed into these voices um you know like red we had a breaths which were effects from real gorillas and we had his on set performance and uh we had a, a cheated line and you know all this stuff was it was fairly complex and it was got very complex for some of the characters like maurice which are composed of a lot of effects anyway the the bottom line is that we did as little as possible to the voices to get them to sound like uh, apes. And I have to say that the trick to getting great ape voices who are speaking in language is to have great actors. And these guys really delivered. Um, and that is the that is the secret. And, you know, we did treat them slightly we cleaned them up, we augmented them with breaths and effects occasionally, but, um, you know, it's dialogue, it's performance. It was really good stuff, so we, we were lucky. And I, I think it was, it was kind of important that you were basically presenting the tracks to Andy in a very simplistic way, because to him, he didn't have to think about what was going into making that voice. Sounded, I think you're right. You know, oh, yeah. Because basically, Absolutely. Andy would kind of he would get a track per character basically on the console, yeah. And Absolutely. and then he would do you know EQ and compression, just all the same stuff he would normally do to dialogue, um, but he didn't have to think about how the sausage was being made, which I think was, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that sometimes you don't even want to know because to him then he can just react to it and say, oh, it just sounds too bright. Let me take out some whatever. You know, it sounds too sibilant. Um, it's a good reference, mystery meat. It's, yeah, uh, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Works. That's yep. all we do. Yep. <laughs> it's mystery, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot going on in that scene. 
a lot of arrows, a lot of things happening, but it's yeah. it's not uh, over the top, which I think most people would expect. You know, big film, big Hollywood film, but it, it's very detailed. So what did you guys do to get that together? That scene took friggin' forever to cut. Seriously. <laughs> As um, you might expect. I think everyone, every sound editor on the movie worked on that scene yeah. at one point or another. Yeah. The Arrows, um, five iterations over uh, 18 months. Uh, and the big, um, telling the story of why Preacher's on the ground and not running with everybody else. Um, that didn't come until almost the very last, remember? Because Matt was saying he, he, he wasn't getting what he wanted. And... Um, so he just said, "No, we need to tell the, the we need to tell the story of Preacher and why he's not running with everybody else and getting killed." So um, I went back and, with that in mind, cut a six pass, which you you know that was the the specifics, and you gave me material to do that, and um, I think we nailed it. I think it was that that, but the five iterations through the eighteen months gave you because the original I um, the original direction from Matt was, it needs to be a hailstorm storm of arrows. And I think he needs to feel pinned down yeah. like he can't leave. Yeah. And I think after cutting for 18 months <laughs> all those arrows, I think we've, you know, maybe nailed it. So I think the, for me, what really made it work in the end was the last pass was all about textures and tones and trying to be as specific as possible with the material. So, you know, when it was hitting a tree, making sure that really felt different from when it was hitting. Um, the ground or, you know, a, har a bigger tree or, you know, basically it's like you almost had to think of it in musical terms. It's like it all had to really, f you had to be able to hear it and feel what that material was. But the score also played a part in that whole entire scene oh, too. Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, the, the real, the, the trick, the key to that scene was when we mixed, we, we did another pass of mixing it to make it feel like it was coming, like it was almost through Preacher's ears. You know, trying to trying to take his point of view and take that idea as far as we could, because that really put you there in a way that it didn't need to be just overly loud and overly bombastic. It it could be scary because of the contrast of suddenly there's there's an arrow right next to him and that one's really loud. You know, and so that's the kind of thing that makes a scene like that really feel scary because you're there with him. Mm -hmm. Mr. Ape Effects. Um, there's like an um, insane amount of, you know, the, him, Caesar walking through and everybody giving pounds to each other, you know. But how did you, how do you, how do you deal with that, you know? Even though all of you guys were on it, how did you deal with that? Well, I think, I think actually Doug uh, Murray deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, I certainly took a swing at, uh, at the walkthrough. And a lot of that was, um, there's a lot of distant actual apes and there's a lot of group you know, because if you have an ape, they make it gets very specific. They make a certain uh, shape with their mouth. So to find an actual recording of an actual ape making that actual sound in the actual way it should have actually sounded is impossible. So you, uh, sometimes, so you have to bring in actors. And he he and I both, uh, but mostly Doug, dealt a lot with uh, getting those actors, which uh, which worked on the the second movie. Um, so they they all knew each other to come in and do group ADR, and they were fantastic. Um, so I did a lot of work laying that stuff in and some of the atmospheric work of the, the you know, off-screen actual apes, which was a way for us to sell the group, too. You know, we did a lot of off-screen actual ape recordings around the, the group actor, so it wasn't just a bunch of, you know, guys going, ooh, ah. Um, uh, we had actual apes going, ooh, ah. Uh, 
And so, um, but then, you know, it changed so many times in the tone of it and Matt would hear it and say, it's not right and stuff. And Doug, Doug put a lot of work into that. I think if any hair got pulled out about that scene, it was, it was Doug. Well, I, I want to say about that, that Dave Grimaldi did the first pass again through this scene as he did through so many of the scenes. He also did the last pass on a lot of scenes too, but in this scene he did, he did a huge amount of what PK was just referring to of the real apes, you know, the real ape sounds, trying to find good pained apes and gorillas and, and weaving them together to make something that could sit in the scene. But this was before we had the final animation. So we had to go back through it several times as, as he did with the arrows in the earlier part of the scene to keep it updated. I don't know how many passes we made through this scene, but it was a lot. And I also want to credit Doug Jackson, who also made a huge contribution to the movie and specifically to this scene. Um, he worked very closely with me and then with Will during the mix of it, the premix, to get it all tweaked. And I was wondering, Will, you know, how many objects you used, Atmos objects you used just for the voices of these apes in the scene just to get the panning to work well, perfectly. This, this scene took forever to mix for that reason. Uh, partly because I was really trying to um, bring out the specificity of all those apes as they're going by, but also can keep up the feeling that there's a lot of them. So that whole contrast between foreground and background. But every single one of the apes, as Caesar's walking through the trench, every single ape is in its own object. So that, uh, that scene alone is probably 30 objects of apes all weaving through and passing by. And if you, if you watched the RMU screen, you'd see you know, a ton of little balls moving this way and then this way and then this way and then this way. And, um, but you know, in a way, that, that specificity and taking the time to do that is one of the things that I think makes the scene really work because you can feel this, that one character you know, track over here and then go off the screen and keep going and he keeps making the sound that, he, you know, it's, it's, it, it becomes a very immersive experience. Um, so I'm glad that, that we could take the time to do it, but it was a hell of a lot of work. Um, and it was also just a lot of work to, like Doug was saying, I was consistently amazed at how these guys were able to find, combing through hours and hundreds of hours of recordings that we had, um, to find the exact sound that felt like not only it matched the the mouth movement, but also just the the feeling, you know, so much yeah, of this pain. Scene, yeah, exactly. This the scene pain and the suffering emotion. of these apes that yeah. is causing Caesar to feel so angry at this moment when he approaches these guys. Yeah. And I don't then think we need yeah. real actors anymore after this. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, the funny no, you thing do, you is, you do need the actors, but the, the all that you know, nothing is. Um, in these movies, almost every single thing that's animated is actually first performed by a human in a suit. They might, you know, augment it afterwards and all that stuff, but basically what they would do at Weta for scenes like that is on, on the set, they would just shoot Caesar and the main characters, but then Weta would go and do motion capture on their stages in, in New Zealand to do all those secondary characters. Um, and then, of course, unlike the production sound that we get from the main shoot, we didn't get any audio with those shoots. So all those background characters, PK and Doug Jackson and all these guys had to find sounds that not only fit sync, but fit the feeling of what they were doing. And that I can't even imagine <laughs> how difficult that must have been. <laughs>
it was yeah it took it took a huge i mean that was the of all the obstacles up ahead of anyone who worked on the apes on this film i think the that was the biggest obstacle is to find something um that would work because a lot of times i mean there was always moods you know it's like in this scene there's they're apprehensive yeah, you know, you the, can't really the search of consternation. sound effects library of apes for apprehensive apes. So you have to sort of like at first you have to be like, okay, this is what I think that sounds like, and then they and then Weta would de would design a lot of these the 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 groups of apes in a vacuum. So they'd come in like I was saying earlier with with mouth shapes that did not. I mean, you can't you know if they're all going like, ooh 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 and the sound you have is ah ah ah, you, you're like, well, that sounds out. Because I'm not going to like call wet and be like, hey, can you render all of that? Can you spend an extra 50 grand and just do it so my job's not hard? Um, so you have to, then you'd have to go back to the drawing board and find it. And it can, you could either be get really lucky or, you know, really dig in and find it, an actual ape doing it. Or you'd have to rely on group to come in and, and, and do something, you know. So it was a lot. It was a mix of that. Those two sort of sound there's a there was a lot of uh, great mining of all of the sound effects libraries that have been built up first by Chuck uh, uh, Michael and and his group on the first Rise movie, and then on Dawn we uh, we gathered a bunch of sounds for, of real apes from naturalists and primatologists who work out in the field. We got great recordings of chimps and and uh, gorillas that were unbelievably good and added to the palette. And then on this film, we recorded more. But even with all of that, it's just so hard to make, you know, you can't, it's like an actor can come in, if they can learn how to sound like an ape convincingly, then you can have them come in and just do it in real time. And there you've got it, you know, it's like, so we used, we did a lot of loop group recordings. Um, with a specialized group of guys that we had boiled down. We added some women this time, actually, which was interesting because they have a whole new timbre. And the uh, and we broadened the group to add a few new people. Uh, but the group really helped tremendously. And they, they do some crazy shit that you end up not being able to use just because it's so over the top or off the wall. You know, when you're, okay, you're a pain, you're an ape, who has a, he's just been shot in the shoulder and he's in agony and Caesar's walking by and he's trying to pull himself together. Now go, you know, so like make those sounds and, uh, and, and they do all these crazy things and, you know, you try to get them to do up and down and wall range of things. And then some of it is great. Some of it is just so good. So it was a, it was really as PK said, you know, it, we leaned hard on that in certain scenes. This one has a lot of that, actually. And w one of those group actors, I swear to God, sounded like Al Pacino. Like the whole time. And I, could, I couldn't bring myself to use him. He's not in any of the stuff I cut, because every time I heard him, I, was just, I, couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do it. This is an interactive demo, so does anyone have any questions? If you have a question, put your hand up, and I'll bring you the microphone. Yeah, the weapon sounds, William. How about the weapon sounds? Can you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, we went through a, few, a little bit of R&D on that, trying to find guns that we liked. And we, we wanted also a variety of guns because this was kind of a ragtag group of soldiers and they wouldn't necessarily all have the same gun. 
Um, but th so we ended up using uh, mostly, yeah. And then uh, the AR-14s, uh, I think AR-5, and then um, AKs for a slower kind of, it had more of a kaka 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 instead of like da 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 da. So it's 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 almost like music, right. like like I didn't really look at the weapons and go, okay, that's that gun. I mean, I did just to, to make sure it was in sync, but I didn't kind of match the type of gun I think was on the. I, I kind of just made it sound like music, I think, and it just it had to work. Well, and I mixed it like I was mixing drums. I, I usually, for guns, I, I often think of mixing guns like mixing drums. It's like I do a lot of parallel compression on guns so that I can get that really full-bodied sound of the gun but still get the snap of the transient from the dry signal. So I do a lot of that. I actually used um, an, an old Avid plugin called Smack. I love the way that that does guns. And drums. Another plug. Good job. Bob. Yeah. Um, yep. It's an old one, but it's a good one. Uh, yep. And it's one of those things, it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's, it's, a, it's a compressor. It's, it's basically supposed to sound like a, a distressor, if, if anybody's ever used the old distressor box, um, which is, of course, it's yet another thing I've ripped off from Gary Rydstrom, because uh, <laughs> he, he used that all over Saving Private Ryan. Um, but it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that, to me, just adds a lot of character to guns, and it helps give you that sense of being kind of overwhelmed by sound without it actually being too loud. The film starts with, this, uh, with the green forest and ends with, really, before the, the button, the, the really white, the avalanche. How did you go about shaping for the entire film that transition from that, that forest warmth to that ice cold? Well, we definitely um, we made a, a conscious decision to let the avalanche be the loudest thing in the movie, which we're actually going to play here in a minute, so you guys have a chance to see it. But um, the uh, <laughs> it's it is and it is, <laughs> um, but uh, but it was sort of one of those things where if it, you, you almost have to try to save some juice for something like that because if everything's a ten, then nothing's a ten, right? Um, so that was definitely something that we tried to keep in mind. Uh, there's, there's a, just by the nature of it, there's a lot more sort of um, high-frequency sizzly kind of sounds in the ice and snow sounds just naturally, but also in terms of what we chose to, to use and all that kind of thing. Um, I, I think it's just one of those things that you're constantly what you're trying to do with sound is create a vibe and create a feel. And, and make up for the other senses that you don't get to have, like, like your sense of smell and your sense of warmth or cold. So, you know, with sound design and mixing, we're, we're constantly trying to use tricks like EQ and just sort of spectral balance in terms of trying to make the audience feel a certain thing. Um, so, you know, I couldn't say that it was like a thing that we planned on, but it's certainly a, a thing that, I think it just happens naturally. You know, you're working on a, a, a scene, a forest scene, and you're you're trying to pick sounds that have a a warmth, and you're using a reverb that's a warmer reverb, and you're taking out more of the high end, and those kinds of things, um, versus the ice and snow scenes where you're maybe exaggerating some high frequencies, and you're you're letting things be a little crisper. And for me, I actually cut the opening sequence for Rise, which was also a jungle sequence. Um, which I thought was interesting because there was apes walking along a trail, and this one, it's humans walking along the trail. So I think I kind of wanted to 
not bookend it, but I, I wanted to homage it a little bit. And then we add a lot of birds and texture that, you know, later on too. So. Good afternoon. My name is Olivia. Uh, I just wanted to say hi. <laughs> uh, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of Planet of the Apes and thank you for all your hard work. Um, so I, I noticed Mr. Murray was talking about how uh, you used mostly naturalist um, effects for the apes, correct? Or an archive of sound effects for the apes? It was a lot of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you actually had a live recordist that was seeking out sound effects for the apes that was on your team. I, uh, I actually um, hold the distinction of the only effects editor on the movie that got sprayed with gorilla shit. <laughs> so that's, that's a thing. It's a good thing. Um, so we obviously went out uh, and recorded. <laughs> we recorded actual gorillas and orangutans uh, at the LA Zoo, Doug and I, and uh, Matt, our assistant editor, and... How was it? Doug, Doug did some traveling as well. And, and Doug traveled. Yeah. He did a lot. And then we had other people um, in, uh, like in Indianapolis, I think we hired someone in, right. out there to do it. So there was a lot of, we did a lot of recording. We had a lot of recordings. Um, and that was one of the joys, at least for my part of the film, was actually getting to do that. And Doug did. The gorilla shit? The gorilla yeah. shit. The gorilla shit. Yeah. He yeah. didn't like me. Yeah. He didn't like well, me. Yeah. I, I met him four times and he continued not to like me. He really wasn't a fan. But yeah. Doug, I'll let Doug go, because he actually did a lot more stuff than I did. He went out, he went to, well, you, go ahead. Well, in your, in the LA Zoo, those gorillas, young gorillas were really aggressive, and uh, more so than any of the other gorillas I saw. I went to Atlanta, where they had 23 gorillas in the zoo there, and they have the largest collection of gorillas in the world, and they do a lot of gorilla conservation work. The Diane Fossey Gorilla uh, uh, Foundation is there at the Atlanta Zoo. Anyway, yeah, we recorded gorillas there, and we I recorded, they have like five orangutans. The idea was to just to get as many different sounds from as many different kinds of animals with as many different inflections and emotional qualities that we could that were close and solitary so that we could put them into the mouths of the animals we see on the screen and the uh it's it's tough you know we we sent uh, a couple guys to the indianapolis zoo where they are training orangutans to make sounds on cue so all of these animals are you know they don't talk continuously and they don't take direction you know so they it's you can spend hours with a microphone waiting for them to make a sound or suddenly they'll run and they'll smash the cage with a big plastic toy that they have in the cage. And they, you know, at the same moment that they make the coolest scream, you know, so you get this bang with a scream behind it. And anyway, it was very difficult to get great recordings, but we all have spent a lot, a lot of time. And I have to uh, commend Chuck Michael who got the, a huge library of chimp sounds on the first of these reboot apes movies. Uh, he just spent uh, many days getting great recordings of chimps. So anyway, we wanted to augment his work with our orangutan and gorilla recordings. So we have done it. Yep. It's not just stuff from libraries. In fact, there's nothing in the library aside, you know, there, there's actors pretending to be, 
uh, gorillas in lots of libraries. And there's uh, there are chimps in old libraries, but you know there's not a lot of variety there. So we had to we have a great library of of apes. Cool. No. Anybody else have a question? Um, so I really like the work you did combining the effects sounds with the actual vocalizations of the actors and actresses, and you touched on it a little bit, but how did you go about like maintaining the integrity of the actors and actresses? Because they're already losing their like visual portrayals of themselves, being that it's CG. So a lot of them, I'm sure, want to maintain a little bit of integrity of their vocalizations as well, because that's them acting in this case. Um, what kind of things did you do to maintain that, like the integrity of that. <laughs> Doug actually got accosted about that. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, when you have Andy Serkis, uh, you don't do anything. You just let him do his thing, and he is that character. He's, he's quiet when he should be, and he speaks when he should, and he makes the right grunts. Um, Karen Carnival, the incredible actress who plays Maurice, just believes, you know, that she embodies an orangutan when she's performing. And she doesn't understand why we don't just use her voice and that that should be perfect. But it is, we need to augment it uh, from time to time in order to add the chest, the, the exotic character of an orangutan that you don't get. They have these big sacks under their under their chins, the males do, that have a resonant quality that gives them that, oh, 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 you know, kind of thing that they do. That It just adds a kind of a, almost like, a you know, those uh, big V8 engines that you get in those old Chris Craft uh, motorboats that go, brum, 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 you know, or a Harley or something. You know, those kinds of sounds that the orangutans can make themselves and she doesn't have that range. So, you know, we have to augment her performance. We, we, all of her breaths and little chuffs and huh sounds are all in the movie. Um, so we never replaced her where she did the right thing. We only put other sounds in when the orangutan is doing big, um, dramatic sound where he's using his entire chest and, you know, making these um, typically orangutan sounds. So we had to put in sound effects. So her performance was the guide uh, in that case, and we augmented it where we needed to. And as Will said, she was very particular that we didn't, she had a very strong view that we should really go with her voice. And Matt, on the previous film, didn't agree with her. On this film, he did agree with her. And she had really upped her game. So I think it worked. I think that was the most interesting thing to me. So basically, she was disappointed that on the second film, we didn't use much of her voice, and for reasons Doug's talking about. But what was interesting was that she, it, she based her performance in the third film partly on the, vo the, the voice that Doug had built for that character out of real sounds. So she learned how to make some of those sounds, and she actually integrated that into the performance, which actually gave it, it was a much better starting point for us, because not only was she audibly making the sounds, but she was visually making those sounds, right? So if she's making those sounds on set, it becomes much easier to attach and augment real sounds of, of a, of a uh, uh, 
what kind of monkey is that? Mm-hmm. Orangutan? Yeah. It's, <laughs> a, it's not a monkey. Yeah. It's an yeah. ape. It's a great <laughs> ape. Sorry. It's a, yeah, it's an ape, man. Come on. He so, takes it very personally now. So I want to thank Will, Ape's Effects man over here, and everybody else who was involved in this. Uh, thank you guys for doing this with us. And uh, they're going to be hanging out here for a little bit if anybody has some more questions. And thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Doug, for being on Skype so late in Ireland. <laughs>